What's up, everyone? Welcome back to NFL Only here on Spark Talk, and today I'll be recapping the ninth week of the NFL season. Uh, first things first, uh, I'll get into uh, a little thing I wanted to do here for the halfway point of the season. Uh, I'm going to give you my top five uh, coaches on the hot seat uh, at the start of the episode, and then at the end of the episode, I'll give you my top five uh, Super Bowl contenders with a couple that just missed the list. So, without the way, I'll get into my top five uh, coaches on the hot seat, and my uh, and number five is Matt Nagy, the coach of the Bears, and it just with the with the slide that they're having at the moment, the three game losing streak, uh, the team just looks very undisciplined. The players look lost at the time, and the players sometimes they feel like they don't want to play for him. They're like. Just walking on the field, there seems like there's no energy on the offense, and it's just the they just don't seem like they have a lot of energy right now with them, and it's I think a lot of that has to go with Matt Nagy, and if they continue to sl- uh, slide here and this uh, and they start losing and they go like seven and nine or six and ten, uh, you can probably bet on it that Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace will be out the door uh, by the time the offseason hits. But just this last three games here has really, I think, put Matt Nagy on the hot seat because he's supposed to be an offensive coach uh, coming in to give the Chicago Bears a, a historically bad offensive team and give them a little bit of boost on the offensive end. And he just hasn't done that his first three years. And it will be interesting to see how the Bears play out the season. And I think that will determine if Matt Nagy stays or goes. So we'll move on to my number four. My number four is Anthony Lynn. Uh, the head coach of the Chargers, and he just hasn't shown me he can win games. He uh, just too many close losses, too many mistakes for his teams that should be a lot better than what they are. And I just think it could be his is is his first head coaching gig. Uh, I know he was the interim head coach for the Bills, I think, after Rex Ryan got fired. But this is like his first head coaching like stint, and. I just don't think he was ready yet, and I think it shows at times where the Chargers have been or should have been Super Bowl contenders for the last three years, and they've only made the playoffs once. And a lot of that has to fall on Anthony Lynn, and I think he's a good coach. Uh, I just probably think he needs a new change, change of scenery and maybe get back to the to the base uh, to the basics and get back to a coordinator position and. Probably develop a little bit more and then go out and get another head coaching job, which I think he I think he has a lot of potential. It just uh, hasn't formed yet for him and hasn't he hasn't realized it yet. So my number three is uh, Adam Gase, and he's down far in this list just because I don't have faith that Joe Douglas will fire him. There's not a lot you can say positive about the Jets, uh, except Sam Darnold's been really good, but they might go and draft uh, Trevor Lawrence. So. Just not a lot of positives you can take from the Jets, and a lot of that falls on Adam Gase, and just a lot of the players don't want to play for him. I think we've seen that with Jamal Adams, why he wanted out so badly, and we've seen Miami just the his players look lack, lackadaisical. They don't look like they're they have any energy with them. Uh, we've seen some energy uh, Monday night or last night, uh, but I'll get into that a little bit later in the uh, podcast. But just a his teams just don't look prepared. They don't look ready. 
and they just look bad. They look very bad. They don't look like an NFL team at times. And obviously a lot of that falls on the head coach, and that's Adam Gase. So we'll move to my number two. Uh, my number two is Doug Marone, the Jacksonville Jaguars head coach. And they've just been awful these last couple of seasons. Uh, he's had too many uh, cases where his players are, like his star players, uh, Dante Fla- uh, Fowler, uh, Yannick Ngakwe, and Jalen Ramsey, of all three, asked to leave the team. And I think a lot of that has to do with Doug Marone and probably his coaching style, the way he coaches his team. I just think it rubs players the wrong way. And he just hasn't been that spectacular of a head coach. Uh, the defense was phenomenal. They had a, I think, a great run in that uh, when they went to the AFC Championship, almost, probably should have made it to the Super Bowl. They had a fantastic run. But that momentum has died down, and we're starting to see, I think, what Doug Marone actually is as a head coach, and he just, he's not a, he's not a good head coach. He's not uh, that great of a head coach, and that magic has died, and I can see him easily getting uh, the pink slip uh, after the season. So my number one is Romeo Cannell, and he's probably the only surefire fire at the end of the year where... The only two wins that came against Jacksonville, uh, probably Houston is wanting to set up a offensive-minded coach with uh, Deshaun Watson to give uh, the offense a little bit, of, a little bit of the boost, especially when Bill Bryan traded away uh, DeAndre Hopkins, which probably killed this team's Super Bowl chances if they had any, and. Uh, and it just, I just don't see him making it past the season. I like Romeo Cornell a lot. He's been one of my favorite coaches in the league uh, ever since uh, Ever since I've been watching it when he was the coach for the Browns. And that's when I started to really get into football uh, is when he was coaching the Browns. And he just, uh, he's one of my favorite coaches, but he's just older. Uh, and he's just not, I don't think he's very fit to be a head coach anymore because of how old he is. And I just don't really see them doing much the rest of the season and he'll most likely get fired and probably the surefire the most surefire uh coach to get fired at the end of the season so uh that wraps up the uh my top five uh coaches on the hot seat number five is uh Matt Nagy number four is Anthony Lynn number three is Adam Gase number two is Doug Marone and number one is uh Romeo Cornell so with that out of the way we'll get into the uh recap portion and the first game uh, we'll start out with is the Ravens at the Colts. And this game really came down to the two turnovers by the Colts. The uh, scoop and score that led to the game or led to the game being tied seven to seven. And then the interception, I think the uh, I want to say it was to start the uh, yeah, the start the second half for the coach uh, for the Colts. And I don't think that was an interception. For me, if a wide receiver had done that, they would have called it incomplete. So it shouldn't have been a catch, or it shouldn't have been an interception. And I, I feel like a lot of these refs, when they're going to go into replays, they slow down the they slow down the film instead of looking at it at normal speed. Because if you look at it at normal speed, you could probably tell that's not a catch. Uh, I don't care if he. Has uh, has made three steps. He was falling backwards with the football. He was still, I think, still trying to get control of it. 
and he ends up losing the ball. I think that should have been incomplete. And he didn't make a football move. He didn't like falling to the ground should not be a football move unless the player physically gets down on the ground themselves. And a lot of that is sub- uh, subjectivity, where one person may think differently and another person might think the other way. And I think with penalties, with refereeing, you need to take subjectivity out of the game. And we're starting to see that. Uh, we saw it with the. Uh, we're starting to see that a lot with catches. We didn't see it a lot with uh, the old rules where you had to maintain possession all the way through the ground. Uh, and for me, I always thought the uh, old receiving or the old catching rules. I thought they were okay. They were decent. They weren't the best, but I thought they were pretty clear cut. Uh, clear cut on what was a catch and what wasn't a catch. And the, the rules that we have now, I feel like it just leaves that too much uh, subjectivity, too much opinion-based for these refs, where one ref might call it another way, or another ref might call it the other way. So that's just my thought on the crucial interception uh, for the Colts. And then after that, the Ravens went down and took the lead and never gave it up since, or had, uh, never gave up for the rest of the game. Uh, and that, that killed the Colts. Those two plays... Killed the Colts. Uh, and Indy, uh, Indianapolis uh, needs to run the ball more. They only ran it six times in the second half. They were having success uh, early in the game running the football. Uh, let me see here. Jordan Wilkins had 3.5 yards of carry, which is it's average. It's not the best. But Jonathan Taylor, which I feel like they need to run him more, only had, uh, four, or had 4.5 yards of carry on only six rushes. So I wish they would run him more. I wish they would run Naheem Himes more. And have Jordan Wilkins be that third back, the change of pace back, the boost back, where you put him in, he'll get, he gives you a little nice boost. But the workhorse needs to be Jonathan Taylor. You drafted him that high for a reason, and you need to play him uh, because they're not playing him nearly as much as they should have. And I know he fumbled, and he was the reason they got, uh, got the scoop and score. But, like, he's a rookie. He needs to learn. And taking him out of the game isn't going to learn. And I hate when coaches do that. When you, when a player makes a mistake, you take him out of the game. Uh, I just hate when coaches do that. I feel like players need to learn, especially rookies, need to learn by being on the field and having meaningful snaps. And when you take players off the field, they just, I feel like they don't learn uh, nearly as much as they should. And I feel like that really hurt the Colts in the game. Is they were playing really good uh, when they were working the uh, offense off of play action, uh, hitting, hitting some uh, receivers across the middle, uh, and get, and slowing down this uh, pass rush for uh, Baltimore. And a lot of this had, and a lot of this, I think, the, a lot of these second half uh, failures came from not running the football. And only running it six times, and I, and one of those times was the draw play at the end of the game when it was just garbage time. So they only ran it really five times in the uh, in the second half, and I think that really killed the Colts. Just being unbalanced on offense really killed the Colts, and it allowed to and allowed the uh, Ravens to just sit back in coverage and just to play a pass, just play some zone defense, to play some man coverage, and just. 
relaxed on the uh, running attack, which is actually their weakness. Uh, Baltimore's weakness on defense is their run defense, and the Colts just played into their strength. They really did. They played into the Baltimore uh, uh, Baltimore's uh, strength on defense, which is their secondary. You have Marcus Peters. You have uh, uh, Marlon Humphrey, who wasn't in the who wasn't uh, playing today, but it's but they still played really well. You had Jimmy Smith there. Uh, Deshaun Elliott, uh, Patrick Queen's a pretty good pass coverage uh, linebacker, and he's been phenomenal as a rookie this year, and including in the run game as well. So it, they just played right into their strengths in this game. Uh, also, I think Frank Wright needs to stop being aggressive, and I think this is going to be a trend throughout it. Some of these coaches, these newer coaches, need to stop being so aggressive uh, oh, it's cool. Like they like want to be so cool that they're over aggressive. Is what I feel like. It's the new trend to be aggressive to take risk, but sometimes you don't need to do that. Uh, like uh, was it in the uh, at the in the fourth quarter where they uh, went uh, went forward on fourth fourth down down by eleven. They were in field goal range instead of instead of just kicking the field goal. They. They decided to go for it and they missed it. Uh, if they kick the field goal, they're down twenty-one to thirteen with uh, five thirty left in the game. And then uh, was it they caused the three and out for the uh, Ravens? And then the next drive, they go and they get uh, the Colts have a three and out. The thing is, the Colts don't have to go for it on their second to last drive of the game there because. They uh because they are down twenty one to thirteen they can go kick it away and then go and try to stop Baltimore one more time to get the ball back down by eight but instead they were down by eleven they were forced to go for it on that fourth down they miss it and then Baltimore is in field goal range even though the Colts uh get a three and out Baltimore is already in field goal range and they kick a field goal goal by fourteen so just aggressiveness when you don't need to be aggressive. Uh, I think really hurt the Colts at the end of the game here, and then obviously not, and obviously not run the football nearly enough. But uh, Indianapolis defense was a was a huge positive in this game. Was a huge positive. Uh, they only gave up seven points on just a normal drive and not on a short field. Uh, Philip River, the weird the interception that shouldn't have been an interception led to a short field. Uh, for Baltimore, the scoop and score. Obviously, Baltimore, the defense scores a touchdown. And then they get a three and out, but Baltimore's already in field goal range, and it uh, led to a field goal. So, really, the Colts' defense only let up seven points, really, uh, in this game. And the rest came from uh, bad decision-making on the offense and a lucky call that went the Ravens' way. So... The defense is still positive. The Steve, the defense is still really good. I think they held. Uh, let me see. I think they held Baltimore to under three yards of carry. Yeah, they held Baltimore to under three yards of carry as a team, which is phenomenal. Especially since Baltimore is the best running atta- rushing attack in the league. Uh, Baltimore had thirty eight uh, rushes on the day, uh, and they only and they didn't even crack three yards of carry. So that's how good the Colts defense was in this game. They played absolutely phenomenal. Uh but going to Baltimore, I think Baltimore's offense 
looked the best when they were throwing the football in this game. Obviously, I told you what their rushing stats were. They could barely move the ball running the football. But Lamar looked really good throwing the football in this game. He looked good reading the field. Uh, I keep going back to this, though. The Chiefs game where he looked awful on the in the Monday night game, he looked absolutely awful. He just keeps improving and improving throwing the football each week. And you're starting to see him develop, and you're starting to see him get better. And they're starting to, I think, use him less as a runner and starting to use him more as a passer because a lot of his rushes uh, in this game were scrambles. And I love to see that. I love to see him just start to grow as a quarterback because if he can get his uh, accuracy down, if he can uh, start throwing some good balls and start getting them, getting them, uh, getting them to, the, to his receivers, Lamar is going to be unstoppable. He will be unstoppable, but he just still he still has some development to do. But he's still a great player, uh, and I think yeah that wraps it up for this game. Really, just more the Colts I think lost this game than the Ravens did win it. Uh, they they just gave the Ravens a short field position on a lot of uh, drives here, and basically just gave them 17 points, and that was kind of the difference in the game. So I think a uh, uh, I think a good win by Baltimore. They were able to grit it out, but just a game where the Colts probably should have won. So we'll move on to the next game, and it is uh, the Bears at the Titans. And I'll start off with some positive because I've been a little bit negative on the Bears here the last couple of weeks, uh, and I'm going to get negative about them again here uh, in a little bit. But Charlotte's defense played absolutely amazing in this game. They played amazing. They only allowed three yards of carry, uh, only allowed 3.2 yards to Derrick Henry. The uh, Was the leads, uh, I think, I don't know if he still is or not. I haven't checked it yet. Uh, but he was the uh, league's leading rusher and only allowed him to get 3.2 yards of carry on 21, uh, 21 carries. Just amazing defensive play there. Uh, especially on the Bears' weak part, which is their run defense. Their run defense hasn't been has been okay. It hasn't been great or bad. It's just been okay. And they were able to play great in this game. And then the Bears uh, only allowed Ryan Tannehill to throw for 158 yards. Uh, was I, I messed up. I forget. I didn't even put the sack number. I just put sacks on my uh, notes here. Uh, let me check it real quick. Yeah, they got three sacks on Ryan Tannehill. That's what I thought it was. So they got three sacks. And got six quarterback hits. And that's not even accounting for the pressures they had. They had so much pressure on him throughout the game. And it just shows you how great this Bears defense is. And it shows you how bad they're wasting it. This defense is phenomenal. And they're missing Eddie Goldman. Who decided to opt out this year due to uh, COVID. And they're still playing phenomenal. They're playing absolutely amazing. But the offense is just wasting this great talent on defense. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Matt Nagy and another core, or a coach that loves to be aggressive. It's cool to be aggressive. It's not really that cool to be aggressive when you're losing games because of it. Uh, what is it? So, the basic, so basically, Matt Nagy, his philosophy is, I feel like at this point, I don't know what it is, but that's what I think it is. It, they're not past the 35-yard or, or if they're at the 35-yard line or further back, they're not they're they're not going to kick a field goal for some reason. They they refuse to kick a field goal uh, unless it's under 50 yards. All right, it's ridiculous. 
is absolutely ridiculous and it, it left point and it left potential points up on the board for the Bears. Uh left up six potential points. Uh so the Bears would have would have been down if you count the scoop and score, the Dave Montgomery fumble that Desmond King uh returned for a touchdown. If you count that, the Bears would have been down, would have been down nineteen or nine to seventeen. Nine to seventeen, my bad. And in the fourth quarter, uh, but if you do take away the uh, the scoop and score, the Bears are down nine to ten. The Bears cannot get out of their own way uh, in these games. They are losing these games uh, by themselves, and a lot of that has to go on Matt Nagy. That's why I put him as my as one of my coaches on the hot seat. The Bears cannot stop from beating themselves, and <clears throat> a lot of that a lot of that falls on Matt Nagy because. The Chicago Bears offense, they're going to score two touchdowns. Would have won them the game uh, if they don't have the uh, fumble that went for uh, that went for six. But even if the, even if you do count the uh, scooping score by Desmond King, the Bears still had a shot to send this game into overtime if Matt Nagy decides to kick two two 50-yard field goals with Cairo Santos, who's been really solid this year for the Bears, who's been the best kicker for the Bears since Robbie Gold's been there. Alright, it is no excuse for Matt Nagy not to be kicking field goals and not to be taking points, especially when your offense looks so pathetic through the last two weeks and or last three weeks at this point has looked pathetic. It's just it's 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 like for me it's depressing to watch I'm a Bears fan. It's depressing to watch. It's really just it's awful. And I think any football fan would not want to turn on a Bears game at this point because how bad the offense looks, and a lot of the blame, a lot of the blame has to go to the offensive line. Uh, they're they just played bad. They not just bad. They played awful. Uh, they had starters out there: Cody Whitehair, uh, James Daniels, I think Charles Leno, Bobby Massey. They 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 were missing four of their starters, I think. Uh, and that's just that's not going to work uh, when you're when you're starting. Uh, four different offensive linemen, uh, or you you have offensive linemen starting their first game of their career, and it's it's just not going to work. And it's it was just it's pathetic to watch. Uh, the Titans had the second worst pass rushing team in the league. They had the second least amount of sacks, and the Bears allowed three sacks, nine quarterback hits, and. Nick Foles was just pressured the whole game, and that was with the second worst pass rush or the pass rush defense in the league. All right, that's how bad the Bears' offensive line has been. But uh, for the Titans, uh, for me, I just don't like for the Bears. I think their defense has been so phenomenal these last couple, or especially these last two weeks against New Orleans and Tennessee. Uh, that I just the Titans didn't really do much. But Tannehill made some big plays when he counted most. Uh, he threw that amazing pass to uh, AJ Brown that put them up ten to nothing. And uh, what was it? The obviously he got the fumble, and then he and then they went down. And they drove down and scored to make it. Uh, was it twenty four to three at the start of the fourth quarter? So they had a really good. Uh, they had two really good drives throughout the game, but the Bears defense really shut them down. Through most of it, and I'll say it's the one positive thing about the Titans, and they proved it this they proved it uh, this week. 
they know how to create turnovers. The defense isn't the best. They're one of the worst passing defenses in the league. Uh, and uh, it's just their defense as a whole is just not that good. But they're but they're able to create turnovers. They're able to get scores on defense uh, and that completely swing games. And that's what they were able to do in this game. If you kind of look at it, that scoop and score was the difference in the game. The Bears lost by seven. Uh, it, the Titans are very good at causing turnovers, and that's that's dangerous when you get near playoff time and you wait, when you get into the playoffs. When you have teams that are able to create so many turnovers, it, it's a great advantage. And when you have an offense that's pretty stable, which uh, the Titans the, the Titans went they went up against a great defense in Chicago, but the but besides uh this game Titans offense has been pretty good and pretty solid and pretty consistent so just to see the uh just to see them able to get a couple really good drives to make the difference in this game here uh I think says a lot uh about really where the where the Titans offense is and how well they're actually playing so just a great win by the Titans in uh, another terrible loss for the Bears. It was just a bad loss. So we'll move on to the next game is Seattle at Buffalo. And Josh Allen looked great in this game. I predicted it. I'm happy to let y'all know I, uh, got, I got this one right. Because uh, I've been wrong on a couple of weeks. I was especially wrong on the uh, Packers and 49ers game. I thought... I thought I could be the one to be like, hey, I, I picked that upset there. But Kyle Shanahan decided not to run the football at all in that game. And the Packers played phenomenal. They played a lot better than they did in the uh, NFC Championship. A lot of that had to do with not having Nick Bosa and Solomon Thomas there to put pressure on him. And it's just a re- really good win there for uh, Green Bay. But this game, I think I got it down pretty good. Uh, Josh Allen had a great game. Uh, he re- he read the field very well. He looked accurate for most of the game. There's a couple of throws here and there where he missed, but he looked pretty accurate through most of the game. If he can be consistent, he will be something special. Uh, he has the he has probably the strongest arm in the league. Uh, he's very athletic. He's very physical, and it just needs to. He just needs to be consistent. He just needs to be consistent, and this was a great game to get him back on track and to get him back into a rhythm. Because the last couple, last four weeks, he's been out of rhythm, uh, starting with that Chiefs game on that Tuesday night, and then ever since he's been, uh, what was it, the Chiefs? It may have been the Titans game. I think it was the Titans game, yeah, on Tuesday night, where he just seemed out of rhythm through the last four weeks. Uh, they were able to pick up some wins against some bad teams. Uh, and he just looked out of rhythm, but this but this game, he uh, got back into rhythm, got back into the flow of things, and played absolutely amazing. Uh, and a lot of that had to do with Seattle, their lack of pass rush uh, this year, which is one of the worst in the league. I think a bomb 10 pass rushing unit in the league. And then that getting pressure on the quarterback consistently with just four down linemen is forcing uh, Ken Norton to blitz a lot. And then blitzing a lot, it's leaving them open for screens. And the biggest plays, probably the biggest drive the Bills had in the fourth quarter, uh, 
was set up by two screenplays, one to Stephon Diggs and one to John Brown, that put them on a go-to-go situation on a third and 16, and then they ended up uh, scoring, and it put the game out of reach. And it was just a, it just, I think they needed a consistent pass rush. They need a really good pass rusher. They had it last year in his Javion Clowney, where he wasn't getting sacks, but he was getting pressures on the quarterback and are consistently and it was opening up some things for uh some other players but this year they don't have that person so they're just not getting consistent pass rush and it's killing their secondary uh also russell uh has been great this year but i think the one thing he tends to do is force the ball and he tries to make plays out of nothing when he doesn't need to at times which is also his strength uh, as well, he is able to make plays out of nothing, but sometimes he does that a little bit too much. You had the, uh, and two of his, inter- I think his two interceptions, unless he had three interceptions, I'm forgetting one. Yeah, his two interceptions uh, uh, on Sunday came from just him trying to make a play and not playing smart, I feel like, and just trying to make a play when he didn't need to. Uh, you had the go-to-go, the fourth down. Uh, he throws an interception. Uh, it got the Bills, uh, it brung, it was a 14-yard swing. It, instead of the Bills being on their own six, they were on their own 20. And it just, it's just a play where, like, you had a chance to maybe get a safety or maybe, uh, stop them there and then get the ball with great field position if they're, for, if you get a three and out and you force them to punt it. But instead, you throw an interception, you get, you give them a nor, uh, normal starting field position, uh, and I think, I want to say the, they went down and scored a touchdown after that. I want to say, I'm, could be mistaken there. Uh, it was, yeah, never mind. They went down and got, uh, they went down and scored a field goal. Uh, a 44 yard field goal as well. And, uh, Tyler Bass has been inconsistent, the Bills kicker. So, what a 14 yard swing does there is put them out of field goal range for that field goal, and they don't kick that field goal. So, it's just little things like that that make the difference in the game. Uh, but also I feel like the, uh, Seattle did give up on the run game early. They only ran it 17 times in this game, which is not nearly enough, especially with Seattle when the last couple of seasons, and especially a lot this season, their best games have come from when they're a balanced team where they're having a really good run to pass ratio and they're basically almost uh, like 50-50 split on running and passing or maybe 60-40 split, which they were they haven't been these last couple of weeks. And they need to get back to that. Brian Schottenheimer needs to get back to that. The offense coordinator for the uh, uh, Seattle, he needs to get back to that. He needs to get better. He needs to start calling better plays. And I feel like every year we're, we see Seattle like have these moments in the, in, in the season where they go on like a four game stretch where Brian Schottenheimer just doesn't like he calls imbalanced games where either he runs it too much or he throws it too much and he just has those off games and I think we're seeing that we're seeing that stretch right now for Seattle where he's just having another uh off stretch where he's just not calling the right plays he looks like he's out of rhythm calling plays and it's hurting Seattle but uh another thing for Seattle though is they're not going to win a Super Bowl. 
if their defense doesn't get better, especially their pass defense, uh, they're not going to win the Super Bowl. All right, and it puts way too much pressure on Russell Wilson. I think they have the I think they're the highest scoring team in the league. It puts way too much pressure on him to put up consistently 30 points every single game to win. It just puts way too much pressure on him. The defense Ken Norton Jr. has to step up. The defensive coordinator for Seattle, he has to step up. Uh he has to he has to get his players ready. He has to get them playing smart. And they need to find out how to create a pass rush without blitz, without blitzing uh, Jamal Adams and taking him out of coverage every single play. They need to stop. That they, they need to find another way to get a pass rush, and it's killing them. Uh, I don't see Seattle, even though I think they were my Super Bowl pick. I think I had Baltimore and Seattle in the Super Bowl. Uh, I just don't see them making the Super Bowl right now until their defense starts playing better. I just don't see them making a Super Bowl. Uh, so we'll move on to the uh, next game here, uh, and it's Carolina at Kansas City, and this was a fun game. Uh, I expected it to go like this, especially if Christian McCaffrey played. Uh, even though, unfortunately, he got injured in this game, he looked really good uh, when he did play. He averaged 3.4 yards a carry, uh, had 10 receptions, 82 yards. But I wish Carolina would have ran the uh, ball more. They had 22 designed runs in this play out of 74 plays. And it's the same thing while I was talking about Seattle. When you get so imbalanced on the offense, it just makes you out of rhythm. It The defense can play back. They can play relaxed. And they don't have to uh, really worry about the run game. And, and that's just it just doesn't work for majority of teams when you're, when you're just a one-dimensional team. It just doesn't work, and Carolina's pretty good at throwing the football, but to have Christian McCaffrey get going on the offense, get that run game going, is where I think Carolina's been the most successful uh, this season is when their run game is going, and it helps set up their pass game a little bit. It just, like, I just don't understand what Matt Rule and Joe Brady were doing. I just don't understand what they were doing. Uh, And... It, it just it just didn't make sense for me. They got my thing was I was afraid Carolina was going to try to get into a track meet with Kansas City, and they got into a track meet with them, and Kansas City won the track meet. Uh, barely, they barely won, but they won the track meet. Uh, Carolina did have a 16 minute advantage, but they could they, but they could have had an even a more advantage if they ran the football consistently. Uh, Teddy, look, I think Teddy looked really good. His two minute drills are terrible. He takes way too much time off the clock. He throws too many underneath throws. Instead of trying to get to the ball to the sideline and get his players out of balance, he just takes too many underneath uh, throws there and it wastes too, wastes too much time. And it forced Joey Sly, who probably makes a 63-64 yarder or maybe like a 63-62, it forced him to kick a 70-yard field goal. Or 67-yard field goal, my bad. And... He just shanked it because you're, when you're a kicker, you put when you're trying to kick those long field goals, you're just trying to hit. You're just trying to hit it hard, and hopefully it goes in at that point, uh, and hopefully it curves in or gets in for you. But it, they're forcing Joey Sly uh, to kick way too many long field goals, and he's he came up short against New Orleans, and he came up short in this one. Like, what is their what is their Carolina's record here? So yeah, they could be easily 
be uh, five and five at the moment, or not five, five and four at the moment. But instead, they're three and six, and that's due to I think Teddy's just time management, his ability to run a two-minute drill. It's kind of lacking. I think a lot of that has to do with him being off of football for two years and him starting to get back into a rhythm. But uh, let me see. Let me get here. Yeah, Carolina uh, on their defense, they actually got pressure on Pat Mahomes. They haven't been very good at rushing the passer, but they got pressure on Pat Mahomes. And Pat Mahomes did look off in this game for me a little bit, which like his stats show a different story. Uh, it's hard to critique Pat Mahomes and hard to see how he can get better. But there's a couple missed passes there. He missed Ty- uh, Tyreek Hill on a deep pass uh, that would have been a touchdown. And uh, he, th- he kept throwing behind his receivers on a couple plays where like they could have got a lot more yards, but he threw behind them. And I think he's having that Josh Allen type of deal where he's playing too much on the ball instead of putting like, some touch on it. And playing some air underneath the ball at times. He just tries to rocket it in. And I think that's where he's got the miss with Tyreek Hill. Where he tried to... Uh, like, He just tried to bullet pass it. Instead of just trying to give it some air. And it just... It just uh, set, and it just... Uh, he just missed on it. And there's a couple throws like that. Like Pat Mahomes has. Where he just misses it. But he was... I think he was pretty good for most of the game. It just... Not the Pat Mahomes level standard... That you that we've been seeing these last couple of years, and you just, you feel like you you can see more from him, even though he's putting up these ridiculous stats. You just feel like there's some more there that he's leaving on the field at times, and he can be even better than what he is right now. And he's the best quarterback in the league at the moment. So it's it's hard to critique him, but there's also some stuff where like if he could be even better than what he is right now. Uh, if he's uh, if he doesn't miss a couple of these passes at times, I think a lot of that could, a lot of that could be mechanical issues where it just uh, some mechanic issues that he's making that probably Andy Reid gets on him about. So, but on Andy Reid, Andy Reid's phenomenal. Andy Reid has been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I think they have the highest uh, separation between the receiver and DBs on like a lot of these like on these throws like seven. Uh, between like five and seven yards, and a lot of that has to do with Andy Reid and the and his play designs, his play calls, and the receivers just getting open and just makes it easy for Pat Mahomes where he's not having to throw uh, tight window throws all the time like Aaron Rodgers is. Uh, it just makes it a lot easier for Pat Mahomes to uh, just play football and to gain confidence and he's just been gaining confidence ever since uh he's he got the starting role in 2018 he just looks better and better each year except for uh he looked better and better he this year's kind of falling out a little bit but like there's still some stuff where he could just be absolutely like the best quarterback we've ever seen uh and he could put up even better better numbers there's some stuff that he misses though but just andy like the Chiefs are just a great team. They're a great team. Their defense has been very solid throughout the year. Hasn't been as nearly as bad as they were the last two years. Uh, and the offense is clicking on all cylinders. The Chiefs are going to be a hard team to beat. Uh, I think the one interesting thing, though, is Andy Reid is 62. And I don't know how long 
uh, he'll coach for more because this is around the maybe around three or four years will be the time when when like usually a coach retires. We see rare ones that go over seventy, like uh, Bill Belichick and uh, Pete Carroll right now. But if Andy Reid wants to coach to he's seventy uh, or seventy two, he has eight to ten years left with Pat Mahomes. That's insane. Like, just imagine what they're able to do in that 8-10 to 10 year span. That's going to be some incredible stuff for the Chiefs, and especially Chiefs fans. So, there's a lot of positives to take from to take away from this game, I think, for both teams. Uh, I think one thing the Panthers have to do is just run the football more and attack a really poor running uh, run defense uh, with Kansas City. And I feel like Pat Mahomes, he, he played amazing. But he could be playing even better if he's uh, not missing some of these throws here. But you, nobody's perfect. He, you're going to miss some of those throws. But he uh, he could be any he could be a lot better, have a lot better numbers uh, if he didn't miss some of those easy throws there. So we'll move on to Miami at Arizona. And this game was amazing. This game really good. Arizona and Miami are not disappointed with these games. They're, they're like, making... They're producing fine games to watch. Arizona, uh, what was it? Their last game was the Seattle game, I want to say. We had a bye week last week. Yeah, yeah. So, coming out the Seattle game, uh, uh, probably the best game of the year. They come out and then have uh, probably a top five game uh, in this one. It was just a fun game to watch. And it was just... Uh, fun to watch two up-and-coming uh, quarterbacks duel it out for the first time in the NFL. We've seen them in college. Uh, two, I got the better of Kyler. But it just it's cool to see these young court, uh, these young quarterbacks come up, and you know they're going to be special. And just to see that first time they're going to play each other in the NFL, it's kind of special to see that. Uh, but let's start off with the Miami defense here. Miami's defense is really good at creating turnovers. They're really good. Uh, I thought, uh, and it was the difference in the game. It was the difference in the game. They created, they got a strip sack. Uh, they scooped it and scored it. And it was the difference in the game. Yeah. And I, th- I thought Arizona, if they weren't, if my prediction, I had Arizona winning uh, this game. But I, I thought Arizona would be able to keep uh, keep the ball and not, turn the ball over, and the one turnover that they do have actually cost them the game, and I think a lot of that has to do with uh, Brian Flores, how well he has his uh, teams coached, uh, and they're just a well-coached team, Miami is. Uh, Brian Flores probably should be coach of the year this year, and he would, he I would put money on it that he would be coach of the year, uh, especially if they make the playoffs, especially if they make the playoffs. But uh, Tua looked really good in this game. Uh, Chan Gailey just he let him he let him off the hook, and uh, he, he and he played absolutely amazing in this game for his first game actually, be, like throwing the football and throwing it like a normal quarterback would. Uh, he read the fit he read the field uh, very well. He was very accurate. He threw on the run very well as well. And he just, he looked really good. He looked like a top five pick. 
Uh, and it's great to see that for Miami fan. He looked very good. The chemistry with uh, Devontae Parker and Preston Williams is picking up very quickly. It's picking up with a lot of steam. And you'd love to see that, especially with, with your uh, number one and number two receivers. And the tight ends as well with uh, Tua uh, are starting their chemistry with them and starting to pick up Gulsicki. Uh You have, uh, well, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting, I'm forgetting the uh, other tight end. Yeah, Adam Shaheen's been, uh, he, didn't, he didn't get a catch this game, but he, he's been picking up some chemistry with him. Uh, Jakeem Grant, they're getting him some touches, which I love to see. Jakeem Grant won the, probably the fastest player in the league besides uh, Tyreek Hill. And they're starting to utilize him more on offense. And I think that's opened up some stuff for them uh, on the offensive end. The one thing I have critiqued about Miami's offense is they need to stop running the football with Jordan Howard. They need to stop running the football with Jordan Howard. Uh, he had was he had ten carries for uh, he had ten carries for nineteen yards, uh, basically a two yard average. Uh, and they just need to stop running with them. They only really need to use them for short yardage situations, like a fourth and one or third and one. And just they need to stop using them. I think as they as the workhorse back. Uh, Miles Gaskin is on the IR. He was their workhorse back before he got put on the IR. Uh but they picked up another Washington uh running back, uh rookie undrafted rookie, Savon, I think is how you say his name, Ahmad or Ahmed. Uh, could be could be uh, butchering his name completely. But uh undrafted rookie from Washington have five point four yards of carry on seven carries. And he looked really good. He looked fast, he looked agile, uh can make people miss. I'll uh I really uh, liked what I've seen from him. So hopefully the uh, Dolphins and Chan Gailey get him more involved uh, in the offense and they're able to start pushing him more in the offense because I liked what, I see, I liked what I've seen from him a lot. Uh, and he has some potential there. Uh, and Chan Gailey, the offense coordinator for the uh, Dolphins, he he's looking like a really good head coaching candidate at this moment. He's looking really good. Uh, last week, he I think he caught a great game for Tua, his first uh, game. He had him throw some safe throws, get him into a rhythm. In this game, he just uh, let him rip it, and just like, you know what? We're going to see how you do uh, handling the offense uh, as a as a normal NFL quarterback would. And he let he basically just let Tua just play, play like Tua does, and he absolutely balled out. And Chan Gailey... He's going to get a head coaching job, I think, this offseason. I think he's going to be one of the hot uh, commodities or hot candidates uh, for a head coaching job. I think you have Eric Bieniemy up there, probably Matt Eberflus, uh, the Colts' uh, defensive coordinator. Uh, there's there's a lot of head coaching, uh, a lot of candidates out there that could uh, really – they could really they're starting to pick up a lot of steam and Chan Gailey's on the top of that list for me. Uh they get a head coaching job. Uh and uh, on the Arizona side, I think Kyler Murray may be the best scrambling quarterback besides Michael Vick in history. I think he's better than Lamar. That's just my opinion. He's just so quick and agile. Uh it's just hard to it's just hard to get your hands on him. And what's great about him is he doesn't take hits. He rarely takes hits. 
Uh, he knows when to get down. He knows when to go out of bounds. And he knows how to pick up extra yardage by sticking the ball out and by uh, by just uh, just playing smart and not taking hits. He's just been amazing at doing that. Uh, and he's and it's really opening up the run game. The run game was like struggling early on in the year, but now it's starting to pick up uh, since they started using Kyler Murray as a runner um, a little bit. And I liked what uh, Cliff Kingsbury did in this game. They had D-Hop as a decoy for the majority of this game. It wasn't targeted at all in the uh, first half, but drew four PI calls uh, in this game that helped them move down the field and it, uh, open and it opened things up for Christian Kirk. Christian Kirk had a career game. He had, uh, was it? He had five receptions, 123 yards and one touchdown. He played really good and Larry had uh four for 54. So it, he, uh, DeAndre Hawkins just opened some stuff up and those are the type of games that will make this offense special when, your number one target when you're able to use your number one target as a decoy, the majority of this game, and and open stuff up for your other receivers and your other se- and your other receivers come through in this game in big ways, and uh, Christian Kirk and Larry Fitzgerald are able to do that. Larry Fitzgerald is phenomenal. He is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, first ballot Hall of Famer. He's personally. Besides Brian Urlacher, I'm a Bears fan. I grew up watching Brian Urlacher. Larry Fitzgerald may be my second, third favorite player uh, that I've ever watched play. He's just a great person, and he's just a great NFL player. Uh, and I think everybody's rooting for him to win the Super Bowl at this point. But uh, on, on the negative side for Arizona, like once again, it's another team. It's the third team I talked about this week. Being aggressive when you didn't when you didn't need to be aggressive, all right. The, the, it cost uh, Arizona the game. All right, the what was? Um, let me get it here real quick. It was a uh, fourth down with uh, how how much time was? Uh, all right, you accidentally click something. My bad. Uh, so yeah, it was fourth down with five uh, five minutes and twenty seconds left. All they had to do. And they were on Miami's 40. It, they didn't. They probably didn't like the field goal. It, it would have been a 57-yard field goal for Arizona. Instead of playing it away and playing it, I think, smart and trying to pin Miami deep, uh, they didn't. Uh, they decided to go for it. They didn't get it at all. Uh, and then Miami only has to drive 28 yards to kick a field goal with a kicker who's made 20 consecutive field goals. Alright? So you're playing Miami in a position where they only have to pick up one first down. Or they only have to pick up two first downs uh, to get... Or just one first down to get in the field goal range. Two to get into pretty good field goal range for a great kicker and uh, Jason Sanders. And just... And they just... I don't. I don't like the call there. I don't. I'll, I would rather pin them deep. Yeah, five minutes and thirty seconds left. If your defense can't hold them there, with against a rookie quarterback, then you deserve to lose the game. You deserve to lose the game. Uh, I just didn't like the play call by Cl- uh, Cliff Kingsbury. I would rather punt it, uh, try to get them to jump off sides, and then take the penalty and then punt it. 
That's what I would have done. Uh, but they didn't. It led to a short... Uh, it only literally led to a 28-yard drive for uh, Arizona, where, or not Arizona, for Miami. Uh, they only had, only had to go 28 yards to get a field goal. So it just it just put them in a bad situation. And then, the, obviously, Arizona goes down. And Zane Gonzalez misses a 49-yard field goal short. I don't know how that happened. I don't. Uh, I'm not a kicking expert. Uh, I just know the basics. But like, how like how do you miss a 49 yard field goal? His long this year is 56. All right. I don't. He probably. I think he got probably uh, up underneath it a little bit too much. Got too much air on the kick, and it just fell short. But I just. Uh, I don't know how he missed that. So just wrap things up in this game. This is a great. A great win for Miami, and it puts them in a position where this is the rest of their this is their next five games for Miami. All right, uh, they're at home versus the Chargers. That should be a win. Then they're on the road for the next two weeks against the Broncos and the Jets, and then they're facing Cincinnati. They have a chance to go nine and three. All right, before they face the Chiefs at home, they have a chance to go nine and three. Miami's in a great spot right now to make the playoffs. They're in a fantastic spot to make the playoffs. All they have to do is just win the games that they need to and then take one against uh, uh, New England or Buffalo at the end of the season, and they're in the playoffs. So, like, the Dolphins are in great position to make the playoffs. They're in fantastic position, and this win put them in an even better position to make the playoffs. So this is just a great win by Miami, by Brian Flores. Uh, and they, I think a bad loss here by uh, Arizona, a game that they should have won, uh, and they come up short, and then now it puts them in a situation where uh, Chicago's one game behind you. You have uh, you have uh, the Rams. You're tied with the Rams, and then I think you face them in a couple weeks. And that game will decide probably who makes the playoffs and who doesn't between those two. And it's it's just a bad loss here for Arizona. It's not a good loss for it's not a it's it's a bad loss for them. Uh, and they're now they're forced to have to take uh, they're forced to win uh, the last two games or the two games against the Rams to probably make the playoffs. They're forced to win those two because then they will come down to a tiebreaker. Uh, it will come down to a tiebreaker, and Arizona has more conference losses at the moment than the Rams, uh, and the Rams would probably sneak in at that point if they have more conference wins than them. So just a, it's just a bad loss here by the uh, Cardinals. But uh, I'm going to uh, take a break here, and then I'll wrap it up with uh, the last three games, and then I'll finish up with the uh, my top five Super Bowl contenders. And I'm back. Uh, I want to start off with the uh, Steelers at the Cowboys. And I thought Garrett Gilbert earned himself a starting role for the rest of the season. Uh, the dude has an arm on him. He does. He has a really good arm. The ball com- comes out of his hand very nicely. It comes out really smooth. Uh, and I think one in particular, the throw to C.D. Lamb to uh, set them up in great field goal or great uh, field position where they had a shot at the end zone. It just shows you how good his arm is. And 
you've seen that throughout this game. I thought he made some really good throws. Uh, he made the poor decision on the goal line to uh, throw that, uh, uh, throw the pass while he's getting hit, or while he's getting drugged down. He gets intercepted on the goal line. Uh, besides that, though, I thought he played very well, and it was, I think it was just a learning curve for him. I think Dallas has a really good shot to make the playoffs if they start him for the rest of the year. Uh, I think they have a really good shot to make the playoffs uh, with him. And and I think one big thing here while he plays so well is Dallas' offensive line looks so much better. It looks so much better uh, this week. And I think a lot of that had to do with Zach Martin being back for for Dallas here. Dallas uh, averaged 4.6 yards a carry as a team. And uh, Tony Pollard, who I think should get more snaps, who's been phenomenal this year, has 6.3 yards of carry. Uh, I know Ezekiel Elliott had 2.8, but he just hasn't been good this year. He hasn't. uh, He just hasn't been that good this year uh, at all. And I would I I would like to see Tony Pollard get more touch uh, more touches uh, and see him involved in the offense a little bit more, especially with. uh, Zeke just not having a good year this year. Uh, also, Dallas's uh, run defense, or just yeah, run defense, just played very well this week. Played really well. Only allowed two point six yards of carry. I think a lot of that had to do with uh, Leighton Vander Esch being back uh, in the lineup for him, and I, I think he was back last week uh, as well, but. He just adds a look. He he has a lot to the uh, run defense there. He's able to uh, read the gap and attack it, and he just very, he's a very smart, intelligent player. He reminds me a lot of uh, Brian Urlacher. Uh, very fast, uh, very smart, very intelligent. He can defend the run. He's very good at stopping the run. He's very good at uh, in pass coverage as well. And he just he just reminds me of a lot of uh, Brian Urlacher and. It's good to see him back out there, and he looks. Uh, and when he's healthy, the, the Dallas defense looks a lot better. Uh, but I think the one thing that hurt da- or that hurt Dallas in this game was they couldn't stop the receiving core. The uh, it's almost a quadruple threat at this point for uh, Pitt. You have uh, Juju, uh, Deontay Johnson, and. Chase, uh, Chase Claypool, all three of those had over 50 yards. Uh, uh, all three of them had over 50 yards uh, in this game. He also had uh, Eric Ebron, uh, who uh, is also a really good, has been also very solid for uh, Pitt this year and has played extremely well. And he, he seems to do that like his first year with the team. Uh, he did it with Indianapolis. He played extremely well. Uh, made it to the Pro Bowl. Had ten touchdowns. Uh, the last year he kind of just last year he kind of just uh, just went off the map. Just didn't play there particularly well. Had a lot of drops. And then this year he comes into Pitt and just plays phenomenal. So it's it's really it's really nice to have him there as a tight end, a, a threat that they haven't had in the last couple years. Uh, really, I think since Heath Miller, who wasn't even that good, he's just pretty solid for them. Uh, they, uh, they, they needed that extra. I think they needed that tight end, the tight end production, to really start opening up uh, a lot for these receiving or these receivers. 
And Chase Claypool helps out a lot. He's been absolutely phenomenal. And he has a very bright future. He has a very, very bright future uh, ahead of him. And also, I think, honestly, this game had more to, more to do with Dallas really kind of lost themselves the game than Pitt actually won themselves. And I think you're starting to see Pitt, uh, Pitt kind of slow down a little bit. They've, uh, they had the, the bye week at week three. And they have to play 13 straight games. And that just that wears on teams. And I think we're starting to see it wear on Pitt a little bit. Where where you're starting to see them kind of slow down. They're, they look kind of tired at times. And you, you're wondering, like, maybe they need a bye week or something. But they were able to pull out this win. It was a good win. But I think Dallas mainly lost themselves the game here. Uh, you had the fumble by C.D. Lamb before half. Where he gave them, uh, he gave them really good field position, and it led to a, and it led to the field goal before half. Uh, and also, you had uh, Garrett Gilbert being an idiot. Uh, thought, like I don't know, it's just a mistake. It's his first game starting. It just it's one of those like it's your debut mistakes, a rookie mistake where you shouldn't be throwing that, but you do. He throws the interception on the goal line. Uh, and I know it may have been holding. There was like some question whether it could have been defensive holding or not. Uh, I think on Marquise Wilson, I want to say, I want um, I'm blanking on his name here. I think it's yeah, or Cedric Wilson. Marquise Wilson was the he's a former Bears receiver, Cedric Wilson. Uh, but it just a rookie mistake here, and ended up being a uh, was that a six point swing there. And Dallas wins the game 22-21. to uh, Even more because it looked like they were going to drive to get a field goal there. So they could have won 25-21 uh, and almost flipped the score there. Uh, if if uh, CeeDee Lamb doesn't fumble and if Garrett Gilbert doesn't throw the interception there, that leads to a 20, at least a 22-21 win for Dallas there. So Dallas kind of lost themselves the game. Uh, Pitt... I thought played pretty good, uh, but there's still some stuff they need to improve on. Like their secondary, I feel like needs to get better because Garrett Gilbert really did throw all over him in this game. He played he played really good. Uh, somebody having their debut and that they need to get they need to get better. They, uh, the Steelers defense needs to be consistent. They were the best defense in the league, but. Over these last couple of weeks, they just haven't played that good. Uh, and I think a lot of that has to do with the offense not getting going to the second half. It's wearing out the uh, wearing out the defense for the uh, Steelers. And and I think just more the team just needs to be consistent throughout the, throughout the game, uh, throughout the course of a game. And we're not seeing that. We haven't been seeing that from the Steelers. Uh, over the last couple of weeks, where they almost had the uh, Titans come back on them uh, when they were up by twenty, uh, playing half a game. They played half a game against Baltimore, and they played half a game here against uh, Dallas, and they're still able to win it. If Pitt's able to play a full four quarters of just quality football, they're a very hard team to beat, and they can go sixteen and zero. I think they're going to go sixteen and zero this year. But they gotta play four quarters uh, to do that, and I feel like sometimes they just take off in, the, in these uh, 
in like some of these games here. So we'll move on to New Orleans at Tampa. And this game, man, this was uh this game was something else. Um the thing was New Orleans got pressure on Tom Brady early and often and they did not let up throughout the whole game and it caused him to have some bad some terrible throws in this game. Uh, and that's the one thing like Tom Brady used to be uh used to be very good under pressure where you know like he gets the ball out to Edelman, he gets the ball out to Gronk and they're able to move the yardage. But recently over the last 2 years uh we're starting to see him where he it seems like he's getting rattled back there when he's getting hit. He's getting uh he just not seeing the field clearly. He overthrows his receivers when he's getting hit a lot. Uh and it just seems like his timing, his reads has sped up and he's just not connecting on any of these throws here. And it's uh hurting and is uh hurting the team a lot because when he gets hit when something just gets consistent pressure on him throughout a game, he plays absolutely horrible. And we've seen that in this game. Uh, but I loved how New Orleans, on the offensive side, attacked Tampa Bay's defense. I absolutely loved it. Uh, especially, I think the first drive summed it up very, very well. Uh, they got the big completion over the middle of the field with Jared Cook. He met a uh, great matchup there. You have a... Uh, what? How tall is Jared Cook? I think he's six seven. I want to say six 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 seven. Uh, let me see here. Uh, against a six against a six foot. Well, he's six five. Yeah, he's six five. And he's matched up on six one six feet. Uh, linebackers and Levante David and uh, Devin White and just a mismatch. And they're able to get the ball over the middle. He got a very big gain. And and then uh, Drew Brees set the uh, set them up with some quick passes after that, and then was able to do the uh, do a punt fake, uh, have the uh, a very aggressive secondary for Tampa. Uh, that's why they have so many interceptions on the year. They're just very aggressive, but he was able to bite them on the pump, and then threw it up to uh, who. Uh, blanking on the name here for uh, the Traquan Smith, uh, and just got a very easy touchdown. He had a very easy touchdown there, and we've seen that throughout the course of the game, where uh, Jared Cook had a I think a pretty solid game. He had a drop uh, later late in the game. He also had the fumble on the goal line, uh, but. I thought they they did very well. They were able to get some mismatch uh, mismatches with them. They got some mismatches with uh, Adam Trotman, their rookie from Dayton. There's uh, the second string tied in, and they just New Orleans came out with a great game plan. They know they know how to attack uh, Tampa Bay, and they know how to attack their uh, attack their weak points, which is their secondary. For uh, Tampa Bay, they got the ball out quickly, and they were able to get them on double moves, get them on punt fakes, and was able to get some deep passes in there. And for me, this is the best game from Drew Brees all season. This is the best game from him, and a lot of that had to do from a clean pocket. New Orleans offensive line 
played outstanding in this game. They played phenomenal. Uh, I don't think they let up a sack the whole game, or uh, I really don't. I don't think they let up a sack the whole. They let up one sack the whole game, which is phenomenal, especially considering you had the uh, you're facing the team with the second most sacks on the year. That's just how good the offensive line played for uh, New Orleans, uh, and it's just. It's just a great win here by Tampa, uh, by Tampa, by New Orleans, and it's just a bad loss here by Tampa. And I think we're starting to see, like last year with Green Bay, I think uh, a lot of teams started to see how to beat them. You just pound the ball down, uh, down their throat, and uh, don't allow them to. Really get anything going on offense? Keep Aaron Rodgers off the field and waste time and waste the club because they can't stop the run. The uh, Tampa, you just gotta get pressure on Tom Brady. Just get pressure on Tom Brady, and the rest just falls into place. The rest just falls into place uh, because they go three and out after three and out, or have a five play drive, only waste. Uh, <clears throat> let me see here for Tampa here. So Tampa goes one. Um, Gosh, ESPN's killing me here. Uh, yeah, three. Yeah, one, two, three, three and outs, or four, three and outs to start the game, and then the first drive is an interception, uh, and that just, it kills your defense. It kills your defense, and that's why uh, New Orleans. What was their? That's why they uh, got three point seven yards against the best uh, run defense in the league. Uh, they just wore down the defense because Tampa Bay's offense couldn't get anything going, and it, the defense just out on the fi- out on the field. It, it seemed like an eternity, and Drew Brees just picked them apart. So this is just a great win here by uh, New Orleans, and they have they have Tampa Bay's number. Uh, if Tampa, if you're a Tampa, if you're a Tampa Bay fan, you're just hoping New Orleans uh, chokes in the playoffs again because you don't want to see them. You do not want to see them because they have their number. They have their number, and it's just I'm like Tampa Bay. Uh, I, I think I've seen the flaw in them, or like early in the off season, where their offensive line wasn't the best. And uh, sorry if you hear the do- like dogs barking in the background. I don't know what they're doing, uh, but sorry if you hear. Sorry if you're just hearing dogs bark in the background. Uh, they're probably outside wanting in or something, but the uh, but it just when you get pressure on Tom Brady, Tampa Bay is not a good football team. They're just not a good football team. We've seen it against uh, Chicago. We've seen it the first two games against New Orleans, or we've seen the two games against New Orleans. Uh, what is the what are some of the other games? I think uh, the Green Bay game, Tom Brady didn't really play particularly well in. It was more they were able to run the football very well and effectively against Green Bay. But they haven't, like, when they faced really good, oh, the Giants. I think the Giants is a perfectly good example here. Uh, they got pressure on Tom Brady throughout that game. Even though Tampa's a lot better team uh, talent-wise than the Giants, they got pressure on Tom Brady. It's not... It, that is their weakness, and if they go up against a team that has a great pass rush in the playoffs, Tampa Bay is just going to get destroyed. They're going to get destroyed. It's not going. It's not going to be a good game to watch. Uh, and Tom Brady needs to get better at uh, playing playing under pressure. 
and that let it get to his head because I feel like it's getting to his head. Also, Tampa Bay cannot run the ball a league record five times in a game. They cannot do that. Or four times if you don't count the kneel down. But that is the NFL record uh, for the least amount of runs or rushing attempts in a game. Five. As an NFL record. We saw history. And I, I just... I just they had. I don't think they had a. Tampa Bay did not have an answer for New Orleans in this game, and that's why you saw the game that you saw. Uh, New Orleans had every answer. Uh, they had every thing uh, down pat, and they just and New or- and Tampa Bay didn't have an answer for it. They did not have one single answer for it, and that's what is. That's why you get the game. You got. So we'll move on to the uh, last game here. Is the Patriots at the Jets, and I, I liked how the Jets started off this game. They ran the ball, had a run-first approach, and then started the play off the play action. Got Joe Flacco in the rhythm, got some quick uh, throws uh, in there, and just got him in the rhythm early in this game. Uh, and I loved what I see from Makai Becton here and Denzel Mims, their rookies. I loved what I seen from them. I wish Makai Becton get, didn't get injured in this game because when they were running be, behind him, uh, they were picking up some really good yardage on the ground. Uh, and it's just a, I think a very there, there's a lot of potential there for the Jets uh, with uh, with Makai Becton. If they're able to put other pieces on the offensive line around him. And Denzel Mims has a lot of potential. I loved what I seen from him. He looked quick. He had really good hands. Uh and he looked he just looked he looked like he's been playing the whole year, even though this is his second game of the season. He looks like he's in mid season form already. So he just he looked really good. Uh he looked like a first round pick that I thought he I thought he was gonna go I thought early second Late uh, late first is where I had Denzel Mims. I thought it was gonna, this was a very good wide receiving class this year, and he was picked up in the late second for the uh, for the Jets, and just a very good very good find for them uh, in that spot. And uh, you just a lot, uh, just a very good I think game plan by the Jets. Uh, Greg Williams had this team. Uh, has his defense really good. I think they said 23 out of the 34 players, uh, defensive players for the Jets, have been uh, were once cut by a team uh, this year or were undrafted. So over, yeah, a little, probably around 60% of their de- are the defensive players for the Jets are either undrafted or were cut this offseason by another team. So... It's just a great, uh, I think a great job what Greg Williams has done with his defense. And he's just a great defense coordinator. You can put all the bounty gate stuff on him. Uh, it's just, I think a terrible situation there. But he. But besides that, if you just look at what he does on defense, he's just a phenomenal defensive coordinator. Uh, and I don't think the Browns should, ever let him, should have ever let him go. But it's, it's just a, uh, he's just been very good. Uh, very solid for a long time, and that's why he's been around the league for so long. He's just a great defense coordinator and had a great game plan uh, this week against New England. 
Uh, but the Jets couldn't stop from beating themselves. They had the interception uh, by Joe Flacco in the fourth quarter uh, that set up the uh, New England touchdown that tied the game. And then just terrible time management or terrible play calling uh, and a terrible t- and terrible time management the Jets had on that last drive that allowed Cam Newton to go up and set up the field goal. Just just a terrible time management. They had they finally had the game where they could go one to fifteen and not win the game for the rest of the year and not live in infamy as the third. Uh, team to go 0 and 16, which I think they will at this point. I think they're they're planning on getting that first overall pick. They really want to go 0 and 16. I think just it was just terrible time management there. What they did on that last drive, uh, just it was just awful. Uh, but on New England side, I loved how they started out of the game too. They came out of the game. They started running the football and got Cam going with some sh- with a uh, almost. Custom accident uh, with some short, quick passes, and then took some deep, deep shots off a of play action, uh, and then once they get him in the rhythm, like they did with Joe Flacco, they they went out and they tried to do it, and they took a deep shot with him, which he converted on uh, early in the game. But when he got later in the game, Cam Newton did not convert on it. As we when I think if you watch the game, you've seen him completely over overthrow uh, Jacoby Myers on the. One play that should have been a touchdown, uh, but very similar game plans from both teams. Just we'll we'll run that. Uh, the Jet uh, the Jets were like we're going to attack the weakness of uh, New England, which is their run defense. We're going to run the football and then try to get Joe Flacco into a rhythm and take some deep shots once he gets to a rhythm, which they did. They converted on a long touchdown the Denzel or the Bashard Perryman. And then he had the beautiful throw to uh, Jameson Crowder right before half. Just a beautiful throw by uh, Joe Flacco. And then New England did the same thing where they were like, we're going to run the football. This is the strength of our team. We're going to run the football. And then we're going to get Cam Newton going with some quick passes and then take a shot here and there with him uh, to take the pressure off of him. And I I, I think made, uh, Josh McDaniels... Uh, did a great job at doing that. I think he did a phenomenal job at doing that. So it just, I think a very good game plan by both. It's just, I think the Jets lost this game maybe on purpose, uh, so they could get that first overall pick. I think this was just a bad game, uh, or just a bad way to end that game for the Jets. And it looked, it didn't look. Uh... Sorry, I had to get a drink there. I was losing, I'm losing my voice a little bit, but just a. Just a weird way to end that game, especially when the Jets were controlling the game or controlling the whole game, and all of a sudden you throw an interception, then you have poor time management, and it leads to a touchdown in a game-winning field goal for New England. So it just, uh, it's just, I think they want to go 0-16. They want to get Trevor Lawrence, and I think that's where the Jets fans are at this point too. I think they want to go 0-16 too. But I think a good win by New England. This could be a jump start for them, though. It could be a jump start for New England to get them going, to get them uh, back and playing uh, winning football again. They got, I think they got the Ravens next week, so that's going to be a tough game for them. But it, maybe this is a momentum game for the Patriots. They come back and they win this game. Uh, Cam Newton, I think, played pretty good. They didn't ask much from him. He played very good, and uh, in the limitations that they had him 
uh, had him in with these short passes through the majority of this game, but he played well all in all. Uh, didn't make too many mistakes, and it allowed him, and I think it's it allowed him to gain some confidence in this game. And I think we could see that next week against Baltimore where his confidence may continue. And if you're a New England fan, you hope it continues as well. But that wraps up the uh, recap portion. And like I said, I'm going to go into my uh, top five uh, teams I think can win the Super Bowl. A little like special episode is going a little bit longer because because of it. Uh, they were halfway through the season. So... I want to give you some uh, teams that didn't that didn't quite make it. Uh, have Baltimore, uh, Tennessee, Green Bay, and Seattle. I left Seattle off the list, like I said earlier in the podcast. Their 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 defense is so bad. I think it's going to cost them winning the Super Bowl this year. I think it is. It, their defense is just awful, and it's. I think it's going to cost them a Super Bowl this year. So that's why I had them outside the top five. But my number five is Buffalo. I think just a really good all-around team. Uh, When Josh Allen's on his game, he's on his game. And he can lead him to a Super Bowl when he's on his game. And it looks like he's starting to pick up where he left off early in the year. uh, Before that bad bad four-game stretch. It looks like he's starting to pick up again. So that's some positive signs. And their defense... It's starting to. It looks like it's starting to pick up again as well, uh, like it did. Like it was a top ten defense last year. They kind of have been a average or below average defense this year, but this week against Seattle, they picked it up and they played very good against one of the best offenses in the league. So Buffalo is my number five team. My number four is Tampa. You can't count out a Tom Brady team. Uh, the one thing, like I said. Like I repeatedly said, I repeatedly say it every week. The one thing Tampa Bay has to do is keep Tom Brady clean. When they keep him clean, they're probably the best team in the NFL. When they don't keep him clean, they're a terrible football team. So that's just one, that's just a thing that Tampa, I think, has to deal with moving forward. Is they need to find a way. Maybe it's to have Gronk go in and chip linebackers or chip edge rushers or go and have Ronald Jones. Uh, or Leonard Fournette going chip edge rushers. Uh, they keep some pre- or they keep Tom Brady clean. They keep the pressure off of him. But when Tom Brady's clean, uh, Tampa Bay is a Super Bowl caliber team. My number three is New Orleans. Uh, they're the best team in the NFC. Uh, they have they have the Buccaneers number uh, this year, and they they're just a very all-around really good football team. They're starting to form together. They're starting to work out their identity as a football team. And we've seen them play very well against some pretty solid teams, uh, Chicago and Tampa Bay, especially uh, these last two weeks. So we're starting to see uh, New Orleans just starting to come into their own. And I think this is a this this might be the year that, New, uh, that Drew Brees and Sean Payne get back to the Super Bowl. Uh, my number two team is Pittsburgh. Uh, I think a lot of it has to do with going thir- 13 straight games without having a bye week, and I think that uh, I think that having the first round bye, that first overall seed for Pitt, is ignor is enormous. Uh, enormous. My bad. Uh, it is uh, enormous. There we go. My bad. I butchered that word completely, but. 
it's huge for him. It is huge for Pitt to uh, get 13. All right, they get that bye week uh, after going 13 straight games of having uh, having to play a football game. They need to get that first round bye. And I think they're going to slip up a game or two, uh, especially uh, if they keep playing. Uh, like like they only decide to play uh, one half of football like they've had been the last couple of weeks, uh, and it just I, I it just I think they're going to get wore down by the end of the year, and it's going to cost them that first round buy, and we could see them uh, either losing the losing the wild card or losing the divisional round, and is I I think just playing thirteen straight games for them it's just it's it's a hard thing to do. But my number one team is Kansas City. It's hard to stop Pat Mahomes. I know I was a little bit hard on him this episode, but I think he, I think he could have put up five touchdowns. He could have put up 400, 500 yards against Carolina. He missed some throws out there, but when Pat Mahomes is on his game, he's on his game. And when he's off his game, look at the numbers he still puts up. He's been phenomenal this year while he's had kind of a slump here for him. Uh, he's played. He's been phenomenal, uh, and then you had Andy Reid to the mix, who's a mastermind. It, it's just it, Kansas City's uh, looking very well, like they're going to repeat uh, this year, in my opinion. And it's just a very, they're a very, very gr- uh, solid team uh, all around. Steve Spagnuolo has the defense playing a lot better. This year, uh, Pat Mahomes, still amazing. Andy Reid, still amazing. So, yeah, that wraps it up there. I'll go over over the teams again. My number five team is Buffalo. My number four is Tampa Bay. My number three is New Orleans. My number two is uh, Pittsburgh. And my number one is Kansas City. So that's going to uh, wrap up the podcast there. And thank you all again for listening. Uh, make sure to uh, like it. Uh, share it if you liked it that much. Uh, if you enjoyed it that much, uh, make sure to rate it five stars on uh, iTunes or the podcast app wherever you listen it to, or Anchor if, uh, as well. So, and also, uh, if you have some criticism, just let me know. I always love to get better. Always love trying to make it uh, more enjoyable for you to listen to, for you to uh enjoy and for you to have a good time uh listening to it so just uh, if you have any criticism just uh put down the comment section and i can always try to uh fix it and get better at it so once again just thank you all for listening uh i will be back for my uh, for the predictions episode and have a good rest of your tuesday uh talk to you later bye